Welcome to the Crexy Podcast, an insider's look at all things commercial real estate. I'm Matt Kors, Senior Regional Director here at Crexy and today's host. Each episode, the Crexy team dives into a broad range of topics and conversations with featured experts to investigate trends, educate listeners, and understand the latest industry news in CRE. As the nation's fastest growing online CRE platform, we're excited to provide a window into the inner workings of commercial real estate for this generation and the next. Welcome, and thank you all for joining us for this episode of the Crexy Podcast, an insider's look to all things commercial real estate. Today, uh, we're thrilled. I'm actually really excited to dissect what's happening in the commercial real estate office sector with CBRE's Anthony DiLorenzo. Anthony's an executive vice president with CBRE's capital markets team based in Newport Beach, California. With over 15 years experience in selling commercial real estate, Anthony co-leads an investment properties team responsible for selling office, medical office, industrial, and land properties in California, Arizona, and Nevada. He and his team are considered the premier investment sales brokerage team in the Western U.S. and have clients from high net worth um, individuals, institutional clients, and foreign investors. Anthony's diverse experience covers many property types and deal sizes, ranging from $6 million to $500 million. And he sold over 500 properties for over $6 billion in consideration, as well as winning multiple awards and distinctions throughout his career. Earned his Bachelor's of Science in Mechanical Engineering from the University of Arizona. Anthony, welcome to the podcast today, man. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. No, I know we. Uh, it's, it's a, that's a a lot of accomplishments there. First, first and foremost, congrats. It's it's kind of funny to wrap it up from the U- University of Arizona standpoint. Yeah, there's not many of us wildcats out there, especially in Southern California, SC country. But you know, we're out here swinging. Nice man, nice. Well, hey, I'm excited to kind of chat with you, kind of you know about what's going on, obviously in the the office sector. But I know you guys do a lot more um, than just that, but. You know, kind of also your team is pretty big and, and obviously distinguished. Um, I don't know if you want to take us back to a little bit, but, you know, it, it's a large team. How did it come to be what it is today? And, you know, maybe where did it start from from your angle when you when you got involved, how it's grown from there, too? <laughs> it's funny. It's like most teams. I feel like they, the, they when they start to grow, they, they get going and then they grow really fast. Yeah. And I'd say for um, the last. I don't know. The first 10 years of my career, our team was pretty much unchanged. And we, we sit in Newport Beach. There's probably nine or 10 of us. And we were focused on really the LA Basin. And in and around 2015 or 16, what we started to see was, and, and we were primarily focused in what you know some people classify as the private market, capital markets, private client, um, basically you know where the blend is between Um, I'd say private money and like institutional money. So our our real fastball was in that five to $30 million range. And so lots of family office, lots of high net worth individuals. And what we started to see was those folks really going over county lines. You know, before that is, you know, if there's someone in LA, they say, hey, I want to invest in LA. Maybe they'd go to Orange County. Then maybe they'd go to the Inland Empire. And but for the most part, they were circulating in in the markets that they wanted to be in. And then in and around 15 or 16, we started to see those folks move around a little bit um, for one reason or another, chasing yield, chasing different opportunities, diversification. And so in 15 um, or 16, I can't remember, we said, you know what, we should start to look at where following our clients and where they want to go and where 
know, the wealth of LA, which is our backyard, was really taking us. And, you know, the first stop was in San Diego. And what was fascinating at the time, we saw, you know, the price difference for the same kind of asset be dramatically different. The yields were higher, um, the price per foots were less, um, and say on a San Diego office asset than say like an Orange County or LA asset. And, you know, the fundamentals were really good. We just sat to ourselves and said, why is there such a price difference? And so we, we partnered and that was really our first kind of venture out of the LA basin. And, and we partnered with our now current and still partner Matt Porsche down there. And, you know, what we came to find was um, it was really just education. You know, a lot of the folks from LA just didn't have access and education to what was going on in San Diego. And so the case study was built that, you know, capital was moving and we kind of shored it up. You know, we started to see pricing, you know, rise, yields compress, you know, just by our team approach of, you know, sourcing LA capital, you know, outside of the basin. And so then over the years, we've kind of replicated that thesis um, into Phoenix, into Las Vegas, into Sacramento. And um, every time we do, the, the thesis basically holds. And, and money, um, and I know we're going to talk more about where the future of office is going in 1031 markets, but, you know, the money's moving around a lot more now than it ever has been. And um, you know, for many years, like I said, we were a nine or 10 person team and, you know, now we're 32 people. So it's, wow. it, it, okay. it, it's grown pretty fast. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize it was that big. I knew it was multi-state, but I didn't realize it was 32. That's really cool, man. Well, congrats on that. First and foremost, that's, that's, um, that's exciting. Do you, Yeah. and, and you. I, you know, this might be a question that, I mean, do you, do you see people that are, that leave California that are, do, is Arizona, Nevada, are they coming back this way at all? Or is it primarily leaving uh, money from here out there? You know, historically speaking, there there wasn't a lot of inbound capital into California. Okay. Um, now, that, that said, on the larger scale assets like institutions, pension funds, you know, that kind of business, yeah, uh, you know, money would come in um, yeah. all the time. Um, it was housed in New York, Chicago, wh- wherever it might be, but they were shopping here. But however, you know, the private markets, most of the private capital that was investing in Southern California was, you know, from California. And the Got reason it. being is our, our yields here are, you know, outside of a couple other markets in the United States are the lowest in the United States. And so people from, say, you know, pick a market, you know, Phoenix really weren't coming to mm-hmm. Orange County to chase office buildings. You know, they were going the other way, right? Because they were leaving California to go to Phoenix to go chase yield. Um, and it, it's really the same is, you know, that's still the case today. What I will say though, however, is probably more money is leaving California to go to those secondary markets probably faster than ever before. Wow. Um, whether it's trade money or just, you know, hey, I have some, you know, pot of gold that I want to go <laughs> invest somewhere. Maybe I'm going to do it outside of California. And there's, there's a bunch of reasons for it. There's tax reasons, um, there's diversification, there's growth, there's political um, but, you know, since I've been here um, at CB, there hasn't been an outflow of California capital, uh, more so than there is right now. I bet, man. I mean, we hear it across all product types, so it doesn't, doesn't surprise me at all. But, yeah, that's, um, that's interesting. And it'll be interesting to see kind of how the, the state does what, whatever they're going to do going forward to, to change that, maybe. Um, but I, I think it's pretty interesting to hear, too. It started L.A., your clients got out of LA and then it started going outside of California more. So, um, last question I have on that front, did you guys see, like, what, do you do a lot of institutional work today? And has that grown a lot more so over, over time, like coming into California? Is that how it started? Well, in, in, yeah. So with, within the company, I mean, um, 
there's a couple of hats I wear. One of them um, is with our Capital Markets West team on the okay. institutional side. Um, and we have members across the Western United States. And so um, I, I do have some access to that kind of product type. And w when I think institutional, I think larger institutional kind of client base, both on the buy side and the sell side. So call it $50 million and up. So we okay. do have yeah. you know, a decent amount of exposure in that arena. And you know, the, the funny thing is, yes, we, we do do sales in that product type. But for the last two years, um, you know, with the COVID effect, you know, by and large, the institutional folks have, have been in a little bit of a holding pattern, trying to figure out where, this, in particular, the office market's going. And there has been some markets and some types of products, whether it's core, core plus, value add, um, that have performed well from time to time. But by and large, the activity isn't as strong um, today on the institutional side as it was maybe in, say, pre-COVID. Um, now, that said, the lion's share of the activity or the people who have kind of bridged some of that gap have been the high net worth folks. I mean, it's, it's really amazing to see um, for decades, you know, high net worth capital was considered this capital source that was shopping in the $3 million range, $4 million range, maybe 10 or 20. But now, I mean, some of these folks, you know, they're shopping in $100 million to $400 million. I mean, the numbers are, are impressive. And so those folks have, have realized, because um, many of them are very entrepreneurial, that there has been a pullback on the office market to a certain extent from the institutions. And if you're chasing yield and you're chasing opportunity, office is a great way to deploy capital. You know, it's bigger assets. It's, you know, if it's leased, you're producing pretty good cap rates. And so we've seen that capital kind of backfill some of those institutional as, you know, sized assets. That's really cool, man. I, I never thought about it like that. That's, that's a, hey, you just, you schooled me up there. That's awesome. Well, let's let's get into it with from the office market because I think that's what people want to hear about. So, I mean, you know, more or less, what what do you see happening in the office market today, and on the you know the investment side, and you know maybe from a high level takeaway, um, we can go into the future next. But yeah, what's happening today? I guess. Well, I mean, I think first and foremost, contrary to I guess popular belief, like the office investment market is still functioning. I mean, there yeah, are that's transactions <laughs> happening, so. You know, it's not everyone. It's not like everyone's just out golfing and waiting for, you know, sales to come back. Things are happening. That's um, awesome. Are they happening to the same velocity uh, that they were pre-COVID? No. Volumes are down. Um, bidder pools are down. Um, but you know, like we like to say, you know, it only takes one, um, one buyer to to get a deal closed. So, you know, we're finding that one buyer um, more often than not. So things are getting done and clearing. Um, I think what's been a huge um, benefit for the office market in say COVID. And, and it's funny, I'll almost classify COVID as like, you know, the tale of two COVIDs. Um, if we're talking about like what's happening today, there's like 2020 COVID and then there's like 2021 COVID. Right. Yeah. For and, sure. you know, and what felt like 2020 COVID is what shell shock, you know, people were trying to figure out what was happening. Um, everyone for the most part was pretty frightened, but what we saw in a big way was a big pullback in the market. And when I say pullback, not only pullback of, um, demand, but a pullback of supply. And because there was such a pullback of supply, I think that actually benefited the office market in a pretty meaningful way, because there was still an undercurrent of capital trying to find a home. You know, in particular, a lot of 1031 money last yeah. year with some of um, the rejiggering of some of the identification and close dates that we saw um, last year to middle of last summer. And so there was a lot of that money out there, but the, there wasn't a lot of supply. So the supply that was on the market performed pretty well. When you looked at where the pricing on those assets traded, 
in many cases, it was on par with pre-COVID levels. And in some cases, it was you know above pre-COVID type levels on a pricing standpoint. So office did pretty well, you know, because there was a gigantic supply and demand imbalance. Um, and there's other reasons too, you know, I think like a lot, there was concern also on the retail side. So I think, you know, we saw a lot of the retail type buyers switch over to the office side, which maybe felt a little bit safer at the time. Um, and if you're looking for yield in a yield constraint, you know, starved market, there's only so many, you know, three and a half cap multifamily and industrial buildings you can stomach. So office was a great uh, source of yield for folks. So 2020, um, that's what happened. Now in 2021, you know, the market wants to come back. It's, it's so eagerly trying to say, when are we going to start? When are office tenants going to really re-engage? So, you know, we can kind of forecast our capital markets thoughts and strategies around that. And unfortunately, it, it just feels like it's, it's one step forward, two steps back, two steps forward, one step back. And, you know, the, the Delta variant, hasn't helped right if you if you mm-hmm. talked amongst all the office markets across the west it felt like for the most part there was a lot of excitement and enthusiasm with the thought of what post labor day was going to look like from a return to work perspective and you know so that was kind of the date on the calendar that everyone was staring at and we got to summer and then i don't know about you guys but it felt like this was the biggest summer of vacation oh, that absolutely. i can ever remember it Absolutely. So, it, you know, people packed in two years of summer into basically July and August. So, you know, while there wasn't a whole lot of real estate transaction business going on, because it felt like the market was kind of shut down while people were enjoying themselves, um, people still had that thought of Labor Day on a comeback. You know, unfortunately, it feels like with the Delta variant kicking in and some of the corporate USA folks saying, hey, let's postpone our, our rollback into the office, maybe later in this year, early part of 2022, that has kind of propagated into the capital markets, um, where okay. you know we always we always joke, you know, after Labor Day it's Teaser Tuesday in the capital markets, right? It's the big flood of properties onto the markets, try to clear by the end of the year, and Teaser Tuesday, um, you know, wasn't so big this year. It was there's some deals that hit um, the market on the west. Some of the deals actually came to market in August, but from a historic level, it was it was light, and I think that is again, people saying, hey, we wanna make decisions and make moves and put properties on the market, but we don't wanna put ourselves up for failure. And if there isn't some transparency on the office leasing side, is there gonna be that confidence on the investment side? So people are still in some cases in a little bit of a holding pattern, Um, but that said, we're still seeing that supply and demand imbalance and people still wanna make decisions. I mean, for context, our team has sold about 45 office buildings this year. Okay. And so they are selling. Um, it's not as clear cut, you know, what tomorrow's office is going to look like, but we found that, you know, many, most investors are pricing through that concern. Got it. That that's, yeah. Hey, that that's good to hear for sure. I mean, 45 deals seems like a lot of deals to me for one, you know, one sector that you guys are doing for the year. So that that's great. Do you, do you think like in, in the size deals that you guys are doing, are you seeing like mom and pop or, you know, more so high net worth individuals or, or all, you know, all spectrums from the buyer pool coming to, you know, both sides, I guess, even selling um, from the selling side and the buying side. Are they, are they, is it? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'd say certainly the private markets have been more active than more active, the institutional yeah. markets. Um, I know you mentioned that before. There's no so, doubt yeah. about that. Um, both from, you know, a uh, number of properties on the market, but then also the properties that are on the market, the amount of interest. 
at least you know from my viewpoint here in Orange County, yeah. different markets across the West are performing different. For instance, um, you know Seattle is on fire. Activity is it really is, is really strong pricing. Yeah, and pricing strong. There's institutional appetite up there. Um, there's numerous bids. Pricing. I mean, so you hear that, and then you couple that with certain parts of like say Orange County, which is where I sit, and you know Orange County hasn't had that same kind of robust. Um, activity both on the tenant side or the capital market side to say like certain parts of Seattle. Do you think you know, that's like Amazon Denver, and, parts of LA? you know, like the Amazon and Microsoft well, effect up there kind of maybe, or. Yeah. I mean, certainly tech helps, but I mean, what was another big tech hub? You know, San Francisco, right. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, yeah, yeah. you know, and you know, San Francisco had, you know, different challenges than say Washington. And so, you know, that said, there's still assets clearing and, you know, depending on the credit worthiness and who's in there, you know, stuff's still happening. Um, but really, there just hasn't been a, a constant flow of availabilities from a property perspective to really get a handle on, you know, how that market's transacting right now, at least from my vantage point. Um, the private markets, and when I say private, I'll, I'll call I'll classify it as almost like $35 million in down on okay. pricing. Um, that market has been much more liquid, in my opinion. You know, there's been more of that kind of product coming to the market and more of it clearing, um, by and large, because, uh, you know, those folks aren't as conditioned as, say, like the institutional folks who are very data conscious. Right. I can um, imagine. You know, they want to understand, um, you know, if you got to go to investment committee on a $150 million offering, you want to be able to present the business kit plan, right? Like, Hey, we have vacancy. When are we going to lease it? How, you know, what rates are, is it going to be at? What kind of tenant profile? You want to be able to answer those questions. And unfortunately there's just not a lot of the data that's out there to have folks feel extra confident that they know what those answers are going to be. Whereas on the you know $35 million and under category, you know, many cases it's it's a committee of one. It's a high net worth person, and they're the one making the end decision. If they feel comfortable that they see light at the end of the tunnel, they're going to act, and they have been acting. And what's also helped is, by and large, office buildings. Um, you know, while physical occupancy hasn't been up, you know, depending on the market you're in, it's twenty to forty percent physically occupied. Economically, they've still stayed pretty leased and they've stayed pretty current. I mean, pay rates, you know, depending on the market, ninety-five ish percent give or take. So the income streams have stayed there. steady. Um, and, and depending on what the Walt is on these assets, they feel like maybe a, a nice alternative. And here's the other thing that we haven't talked about yet. That's been a huge driver. Debt. Debt. I, I was about to ask has that. Been incredible for us. Right. Really? I mean, so, okay. Absolutely. I think, you know, you can, you know, depending on what Avenue of debt, but I'll just talk about CMBS for argument's sake. I mean, you could go get CMBS now. We're sitting here at the end of June or end of September, sorry. So the 10 years run up, you know, 20 or 30 basis points over the last week or two. So that's, you know, a little asterisk on it. But, you know, prior to that, the 10 year was hovering in the low to mid ones. Debt all in was probably in the low to mid threes on an interest rate. You could get 60 ish percent LTV. You could get interest only. So, you know, you look at where office is trading. If it's 85 to 95% lease, you're buying it in the mid sixes to low sevens on a cap rate. You go put 60% financing at three and a quarter interest only on that. You know, that's a pretty darn good cash on yeah. cash. So, so it's been, it's been that, I think, um, balancing active, you know, the in-place cap rates on some of this office coupled with the really affordable debt that's made office a desired asset class over the last year and a half. 
Yeah. And you mentioned too, I mean, the mom and pops are probably more entrepreneurial, right? And they, Hey, why not pull the trigger if you can? They're probably, you know, maybe if you're not getting a discount on the price, you're, you're getting a discount on the debt, right? So that's, that's great. It's a great way of looking at it. And I mean, that's how I'd say a lot of people look at it. It's, it's, you know, cap rates are a great measure from like, you know, without the broker wizardry of debt, and, you know, cash on cash and all that. Um, so everyone loves to just from a snapshot standpoint, talk about cap, but really what, you know, high net worth capital in particular cares about is cash on cash. And so, and they're going to lever it 80% of the time in some fashion or another. So if that's really what your goal is. And you're right. If, you know, the market's a little uncertain today, but the debt is just so darn cheap. Well, it feels like you're buying at a discount because your cash on cash is up, even though pricing's held pretty firm. So, you know, again, that's why office is moving. That's, that's, that's great to hear. That That's awesome. Do you, and so 20 to 40%, physically physical bodies in the office but they're still you know receiving 95 percent of your your income stream i mean that's 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 great to hear um yeah and i mean also that varies right I mean, i'm sure depending yeah. on the, the the kind of tenancy right like we sell in enough markets and enough size buildings with enough different kinds of tenants i mean it's it's funny there's you know for instance i'll i'll give you an example i, I could go into a class a office tower in like orange county yeah and how many people are showing up to that building with corporate usa stacked up that building versus when we sell something out in phoenix that's a bunch of smaller kind of three thousand square foot tenants i mean those two worlds could not be any more different you show up to the orange county office asset and there's maybe 20 percent of the bodies people actually in the building you go out to phoenix with all the kind of smaller entrepreneurial type tenants and you know, there's 70 or 80 percent of the folks. They're all in, the in there. Wow. So it it, it it has, I think, a lot to do with location and some of the um, guidelines from mm-hmm. you know the municipalities on what's allowed and distancing rules and things like that. So that's part of it. But then I think it, corporate USA is a big part of it. Bigger the company, it feels like um, they have a different set of rules and guidelines than say the entrepreneurial shop mm-hmm. where it's you know five or ten employees and um, they're showing up. No, that's a good point. I mean, even Los Angeles, where we sit, to Orange County, where you sit, I go down to Orange County all the time. I mean, even that's different. But Phoenix, that was the first place I went on a on a work trip, and yeah, couldn't be more different there than California. That's for sure. So I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Phoenix, Phoenix is fascinating. I mean, Phoenix is just doing so darn well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's 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 incredible. And, and what's also incredible is there's parts of Vegas from, and these are office markets. They're doing really really well, like Henderson, and you know, I, I go to these places, like I went to Phoenix last October, a year ago, and, you know, Southern California was seeing kind of that resurgence mm-hmm. of COVID, you know, trickle back up and there's masks everywhere and there's distancing and office buildings are closed. And I go out to Phoenix um, for a presentation with my partner out there, Jeff, and we're walking around and we're walking into buildings and it's like, it's like COVID doesn't exist. And yeah. it's, I mean, it's just, it, it, it's just such a shock market by market, how things are going. It's crazy, man. It is crazy. Um, well, let's, let, let's stay on the same page here a little bit. I was going to kind of dive into the 1031 section. Um, what, what do you see happening there? And, you know, question I have, and this might not make sense at all, but, um, do you see a lot of people going in and out of different product property types that they normally wouldn't do like a retail going into office or, you know, office going to multifamily or something like that that you haven't seen before just because of whatever reason might be happening? Yeah. I, I again, I think right now, um, 
at least from my vantage point since the last 16 years I've been in the business, there's been more people moving around into different locations and different type of product types um, now more so than ever. And I think a lot of it is, um, and I'll give you a couple examples on, on trade money. Um, first off, there's a lot of it still in the market. Okay. And, you know, I, and, uh, you know, the speculation on is the 1031 going to, you know, stay I was gonna or is that it going to go? Yeah. It, it's way above my pay grade. <laughs> like I just, you know, I guess flip a coin um, would probably be a more accurate way than having me opine on that. Um, you know, my hope is it doesn't, you know, it's mm-hmm. a huge driver of, a lot of transactional business, not just for us, but for the whole market. And so I think the ripple would be um, pretty dramatic. And so I hope it stays. Um, it's a great um, advantage for the folks who are moving around and, you know, we'll, we'll see if it does. Now that said, I think what's pushing more people to do trades today is maybe some of the uncertainty wrapped around capital gains. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is, you know, there's still assets, you know, moving and trading. Um, and, what I will say when I look back, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago, you know, the percentage of people who would have maybe otherwise been comfortable paying capital gains um, versus what it is today, the numbers are out of whack. And what I mean by that is, you know, if I'll pick a number, if there was 10 people who sold properties and, you know, five years ago, let's say four of them would have, you know, five of them would have paid capital gains. I think those same 10, now only two of them pay capital gains. And the reason is, um, the uncertainty wrapped around it. I think if, if there was clarity to say, hey, you know, federal cap gains are going to be 20%, I think there'd be a lot less trade money in the market because people would say, okay, 20%, I know what I'm buying, you know, getting myself into, I'm selling, I'm paying taxes, we're moving on. You know, the folks I talked to, the uncertainty wrapped around, is it 20, is it 28, could be ordinary income, you know, there's, in every day, I feel like you open up the journal and it's a different opinion on what it's going to look like coming out of Washington. And so it's that uncertainty that I think has pushed more money from the trade perspective into the market. Now, the good news is, you know, trade money is kind of what's helping keeping pricing up. You know, trade money is very motivated money. You know, it's playing with house money, so to speak. With, um, so so it's, it's those folks who are bridging a lot of the gaps on some of the transactions we're selling. Now, how it's moving around market by market and product type, I think in some cases has to do politically. Like, and I'll give you an example. Um, we're seeing a lot of our office buyers come from multifamily sellers. Okay, so why is that? So why is that is, you know, multifamily sellers in California are selling their apartment projects for mm-hmm. three and a half and four caps. Mm-hmm. And what I hear out of some of those folks who are showing up on our office properties, is, and when I say, okay, well, I see you're selling that. What makes you interested in this multi-tenant office building? Um, it's really a couple things. Number one, they might love and like multifamily. Um, but maybe they're disenfranchised within California with how it operates here with some of the regulations. Maybe they're disenfranchised by the yield. Um, for whatever reason, some of those folks are crossing over the line and going to office. And so it's been a big driver of our sale activity was to that category of buyer. That's really cool. That's um, I didn't think about it like that. But do, is, is it from even from a multifamily standpoint, could you ever look at it? not really the same, but kind of when you have multi-tenant because you're dealing with multi-tenant, right? Multi, you have a lot of multi-tenants, obviously, or you have a lot of tenants in your apartment building. You've got a lot of businesses in your office building. I don't know if they ever think about it like that, but yeah. They, they do. And, and I, I should have um, classified it better. Where we see them coming over is on the multi-tenant office space. It's, it, it's, 
I won't say it's rare, but it's less common where we see them come over into the one or two tenant building. Single tenant, okay. Um, office building, yeah. Um, that is unless there's gigantic credit or long-term leases, and then it's they're kind of marrying up with their options are in that category. And really, it's but with that, you know, if they're chasing yield and credit and term, you know, then they're talking about single tenant industrial. Yeah, okay. okay. That's a four cap. Um, they're looking at maybe some grocery anchored or type product, you know, good, but still probably plus to minus a five. And then the office, there's probably a hundred basis point swing there. So, but by and large, the multifamily folks are pushing into multi-tenant office. And I, I, that's, that's interesting to know. I, I know you're on the obviously investment sales side, but if you talk about just like office subtypes, I'm sure medical office is hot. Um, how about like co-working mm-hmm. too? Like, and how does, like, how does all that play into the mix of just in general with, buying or selling or what's going on on the, on the leasing side? You know what? It's, it's funny. So on the, the co- co-working was an interesting question even before COVID. I mean, if you yeah. think back, gosh, what, what, I mean, it feels unbelievable, but I, I guess it was two years ago now, you know, September of 19, when we work was doing their IPO and oh, yeah. everything was getting a little wonky. And so, you know, the question around co-working was strong even before COVID. I think the question around, co-working is still the same now like how's it going to function is, is it going to succeed in a you know post-covid world i mean what i will say about co-working when i sit in our office meetings and i you know in particular talk to the tenant rep folks is co-working still provides what tenants want mm-hmm. which is flexibility Absolutely. and so you know shorter term options ability to scale up or down so i mean there i think there's always going to be um, a need for that kind of flexibility. Now, if it is it through, you know, a defined operator, like, you know, I'll use WeWork because I mean, they're kind of the, you know, the Brand headline yeah. grabber. Um, you know, is it is it a group like that? Or is it some of the smaller entities, um, I guess, TBD? But I think there'll always be a need in some fashion for it. And probably even more so at, coming out of COVID. Yeah, I mean, case. Absolutely. We're, you know, we're, we started as a startup and we've, we've kind of grown, we've got a large office. I mean, we're in a, a sublease of a sublease right now, I want to say. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, our New York, Miami, Orange County, all of them started in co-working in some way, shape or form. And we've grown, you know, tremendously. So that's helped us scale as a company. And it's, I think it provides mm-hmm. a lot for, for any kind of company that's looking to expand, right. Or start, I should say. Um yeah, and, and what I will say is um, I, where I see it's, this isn't um, the rule, but where I see co-working, especially new co-working leases, is is on the more I'd say institutional Class A type product, um, which again that product is is in a little bit of a flux. Well, yeah. I mean you don't see you know we work going to the suburbs on a two-story you know office building, right? I mean I, maybe they're out there somewhere. I haven't seen it, but you know it's it's a lot more the flagship Class mm-hmm. A type product and you know that product like i said has been in a little bit of a holding pattern so not a lot of it has transacted um so it's kind of hard to get pricing discovery also on how the market is viewing those kind of leases because there just haven't been that many trades of them you know at least you know from my position post-covid so in you know that kind of space you know the headliner grabbers like we work aren't really in those suburban buildings i mean they're smaller more executive suite kind of like one or two type operators who run mm-hmm. those things um, from my experience on the properties we've sold and we've sold a, a couple office buildings with those type of uses in there they've been functioning they've been paying on time um, their head counts are down 
but they're still probably occupied and paying 75 to 85%. So pretty, pretty good when you think about short-term nature of the leases. No, that's, that's interesting to hear, man. I, it doesn't surprise me though, I, I guess, when you think about just people are growing, companies are starting and they need places to go, get out of the house. That's for sure. Yeah. So how about, well, there's I, only, I mean, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, after you. I was just gonna. I was gonna transition over to medical office. So if you have anything else on the on the co-working now, go right ahead, please. No, no, that's fine. Medicals, medicals, one of those. Is, is that hot the hottest? Is that the hottest in office right now? Is is what from what you're seeing or? So for sure, and, and I mean, there, there's. I don't know if you call it a tagline or saying, but the the, the asset class that are most medical and I've never heard that one. It's remarkable. The, uh, the amount of interest on the medical side is, is, is really robust. I mean, our, our partner out of Denver, um, and his team are doing an unbelievable job in that segment. And I mean, they're just on fire and we're fortunate enough to partner up with them quite a bit on, on the medical side. And I mean, it, it's amazing the kind of cap rate compression we've seen on the medical side over the last three to five years. I mean, where, where there was a real, um, spread, I'd say, between medical and traditional office. I mean, that's completely inverted. And so, you know, by and large, most medical cap rates, at least in the markets I work, are, are less than the office cap rates in a meaningful way. And, you know, the amount of institutional, you know, capital in that space, even today, is so active trying to find a home. Now, they're particular, right? They're, they mm-hmm. want to be, um, you know, either on campus or, you know, really well located, you know, different kind of tenancy mix. And, and but, it's, it, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, that's, that's, that's a segment of the market to the point where now when we look at office buildings, you know, you're kind of looking at it through a lens of, okay, is there a medical angle here, right? Is the mm-hmm. parking there or the, or the services or the powers, the water is, is it in a location where you could maybe make the case for it? So it's, it's if anything, I think has, has brought um, some wind uh, underneath the sale of office because it's, it's maybe taking some of the traditional office stock off of the market and, you know, converted it to medical and it's, it's performed pretty well. And there's tons of folks out there with tons of money um, behind them who would love to do more office conversions. Do you to see, medical. do you see like on the institutional side, do they get a little more, I don't want to say lax, but you know, more or less, um, not as stringent with, with their underwriting and stuff like that. If it's a medical use versus just a, a regular office use in there? Well, I mean, I think, listen, if you have, if you, if you represent um, big institutional funds, um, you're going to be, you're going to do your homework either way, yeah. whether it's office or it's medical. I mean, you're good. You're just not going to start, you know, getting out the checkbook and cutting the checks. If there are those folks, they can find me in Newport Beach and I'm happy to take one of their checks, but I haven't found it yet. I mean, they're, they're pretty smart about how they're doing their underwriting. Um, now that said, what is fascinating is on some of these office to medical conversions, it is a little bit more of a leap of faith, right? Because okay. like on an office building, you can look at how that building's performing, where those leases in that building are performing, where the buildings in the neighboring submarket are, you know, doing leases that, you know, on some of these conversions, there's not as many of the data points. So there's a little bit more of a, Hey, I see a data point, you know, in a, maybe a different market over way down the street. How does that data point translate to what I'm going to try to do here? So it's a little bit more of a leap of faith. Um, and there's not as much data to really pull from, but what I found is, you know, those points are there and they're, you know, compelling enough that people are making the investment. And I think, 
if anything is, um, well, there's a lot of things that have come out of COVID, but I think one of them is, you know, there's going to be a big need for medical services and, you yeah, know, it's certainly not sure. going away. And so, you know, the thesis is we're going to need more of it in aging populations. And, you know, I could go on and on about the reasons right. why medical yeah. is going to be a huge driver, um, but the money's following it for sure. No, no, no surprise there, I think, with, with what's going on in the world today. Um, well, let's, let's transition a little bit to, you know, from, from today to like, you know, 10 years ago or so, how office buildings have changed. Obviously, co-working is probably one that, that's a big thing that has changed it there. But, you know, anything you've seen on investment fundamentals changing and what's attractive and what's not? I mean, you know, going out to the suburbs or not going out to the suburbs. I'm sure that wasn't attractive for a while. Now it might be attractive again just with people leaving the cities and stuff like that. I know that's a loaded question. So, Yeah, I mean, we how many hours do you have? <laughs> you know, we could talk about this one for, for a couple of days. Um, I mean, you mentioned a couple of the big ones. You know, I think in today's post-COVID world, um, there's real conversation talking about, you know, urban type class A high-rise buildings versus, you know, kind of low to mid-rise suburban type buildings. What you're going to perform better is it going to be a hub or a spoke kind of model. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from my vantage point, you know, even prior to COVID, um, suburban buildings and low-rise buildings performed pretty well when you compare it to the A's. I mean, yeah, they didn't have the same kind of rates, understood. Um, but occupancies, you know, for good B and low-rise products um, were right on par with the A's, um, but with some distinct advantages, maybe maybe one of them being much less TIs. Um, so I think I think there's going to be a real demand. We've already seen it. Um, there's, there's a gigantic demand for low-rise suburban surface park office buildings. There was pre-COVID. I think there's even more so post-COVID, both from the investor pool and the tenant pool. One thing, you know, that I'll draw a correlation on, like, say, seven-ish years ago. Um, seven-ish years ago, the big swing through Southern California was the creative office oh, you yeah. know, conversion movement, mm-hmm. right? And it was funny, like, seven or eight years ago, you know, when there was an office building where it was, it was maybe functioning up to, you know, the market standard, and we were trying to look at how to underwrite it and what, what's the angle, and like, it was always like, oh, well, can we do a creative office conversion? It's like this magic wand that all of a sudden fixed all the problems, you know, we'll spend more money, we'll make, you know, concrete floors, exposed ceilings, we're going to lease it faster and get higher rents and the retention's going to be better. And, you know, that was the strategy. And a lot of people, you know, did that and it worked out really, really well. And, you know, now I fast forward to today and now what's kind of that lens that people are trying to look at these office buildings at. And I think there's two of them. We mentioned one of them, which is medical. Mm-hmm. You know, the other one, you know, depending on the markets, life science, you know, like life science is one of those other buzzwords and the life science market um, is just on fire right now. And I mean, it's not all markets, um, but I mean, certain parts of say Denver, San Francisco, certainly San Diego, oh, San Lord, Diego, San Diego sure, is yeah. on fire. I mean, every, you know, you can't even look at an office building in San Diego without thinking like, is there a life science conversion here? Um, and, but I think that is, you know, but kudos to San Diego in that market because they've done it. They have the industry there and, mm-hmm. and the momentum, right? right? Momentum. I think huge, where it yeah. gets a little wishy-washy is like in other markets. Um, well, I'll use parts of like Orange County, for instance, you know, there would be demand, but I think it's not like, you're not going to see life science demand in say like Garden Grove, right? But you, you could see it in Irvine or Aliso Viejo or certain parts of the airport area. Um, you know, there's other similar markets in like Los Angeles. And oh, absolutely. So I think, so I think that's going to be, and you know, it hasn't, 
propagated in a very strong way yet to Orange County, but it's starting. People want to really believe in that um, in that opportunity. And so that's starting to pick up a little bit of steam on a selective basis. So I think that's going to be another way to look at some of these office buildings from a defunct standpoint and you know wave the magic wand. Um, the other thing, which is absolutely fascinating, and for the folks in Southern California, they'll certainly appreciate this. The folks outside of Southern California, they'll say, I can't believe you guys are doing that. But I mean, we're knocking down really nice office buildings to go build industrial here. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And so, you know, but in a, in a really great way, that's helping the office market, right? So if you think about, you know, I'll use Orange County, I keep referring here, but it's where I sit and it's where I love, so I know it the best. So Orange County is a hundred million square footage market. Okay. okay. So pretty simple math. If we're sitting with a vacancy rate, you know, plus or minus 12%, 12 million square feet of vacancy. You know, we're ripping down a couple million square feet of office buildings, wow. you know, to go, go industrial. So, you know, even though vacancies have ticked up and availabilities and sublease and all this other stuff that might soften an office market, you know, we're pulling some of that base off the table. You know, some of it's going to multifamily. That was the case a couple of years ago, even till today. But the industrial values from where the land is today, I mean, we're north of a hundred bucks a foot, a land foot. So when you think of two-story surface park office buildings that are 35% coverage. You know, if your office buildings were 240 bucks a foot or less, and you're in a city and a municipality that probably allows that kind of a use and isn't going to be too terrible to work with, you know, you might be better off knocking it down and doing industrial. And it's funny, like if I was trying to sell that vacant office building um, yes. and it was just sitting there, I might have one or two or three people showing up and, it, and it'd, be, it'd be a it's going to be an event getting that thing over the goal line. If I can say it's got industrial angle to it, it's like we got 15 guys that are going to be beating wow. each other up and doing non-refundable money out of the gate. I mean, it's, 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 it's unbelievable how the velocity of the industrial market, I mean, we talked about how the velocity of the multifamily has kind of helped the office. Here's how the industrial market's helping the office is, is with those conversions. Is that a lot of like spec plays too? I mean, or is that you're doing, you know, is that, a lot of stuff going into it before that happens. Like obviously the tenants are, are running out of, or not running out, but the tenants aren't in the building anymore. So your leases are, are coming due, but you know, you got to go to the city and do all that. Or is the city pretty, depending on where you're at, cool with that happening to get business it, there? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, there's, I mean, listen, not every building and every market's yeah. going to work for, right? So you have to have municipalities that are going to work for you, zoning regulations that are going to work for you, whether you need entitlements or not, or general plan amendments or whatever. If it's an association. I mean, there's a lot of considerations. Right, right, right. Then there's then there's the physical aspect. You know, are there tenants in there? Do they have options? When do they roll? So marrying up all those different components. You know, if you have everything lined up, kudos to you. You're right. in a good spot if yeah. you're an office owner. Um, but you have to have things lined up. Southern California, man, that's crazy to hear that. But it doesn't it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me at all, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, industrial. Um, I mean really nice well-positioned leased industrial i mean we're we're cracking over 400 dollars a foot on industrial you know and you kind of compare that with some of the office markets i mean it's you know you're selling industrial more than office that's i mean and and what what makes you most excited about the office sector right now because it sounds like there's a lot of stuff going on from you know capital coming in from multifamily trades that obviously are probably generational and looking to to cash in but not totally and converting to multifamily and industrial projects. That sounds like a lot of cool stuff going on. And again, it's, it's, I started this conversation saying, you know, 
contrary to belief, like the office market's not dead, because I think there is a lot of things to be excited about. And yeah, I get it. We're going through this uncertain time frame on what the future of office is going to look like. But I tell you, I'm, I'm sitting in my office in Newport Beach here, and I promise you office buildings are not dead. They are not going away. You know, I got two young boys at home. You know, there's only so many you know days I could have been working from home where I wasn't ready to like jump off the balcony, right? It's hard to work at home all the time. And there's a lot of benefits being around your coworkers and the collaboration and the education you can give to young folks in the office. Like you can't replicate that on a Zoom call. No, you just can't. I, I have a nine and month so, old and I can feel you, you know, man. I, I, I liked it. At, I need to go to the office. That's for sure. <laughs> it's needed. There you go. It's a, it's an, for some folks, it's an escape valve. Yeah. So I, I, I get it. And you know what? It's going to be that way. And I think, yeah, we're going through this weird wonky kind of world right now where we don't know what the space needs are and how the space are going to, look and how much space we we're going to need at the end of the day is it a contraction or it could be an expansion depending on social mm -hmm. distancings and you know breakout rooms and things like that but that's what's exciting right is we're going through this next evolution of office um that i think is going to be exciting to see and we're not overbuilt that's the other thing that is you know really exciting when you look at you know these markets our bases are depleting for the reasons we already discussed, mm -hmm. and we're not seeing overbuilding. I mean, there's only a handful of new developments in Orange County coming out of the ground. And so, you know, we're not overbuilding. We're seeing our bases shrinking. You know, people want to go back to work. So we're going to be okay. And so I think the people who have confidence in that are the people who are stepping up, you know, to the table and purchasing buildings. And I get it. Some people, you know, it's not as clear. Um, the future for office for those folks. And I get it. Like those folks are probably looking in different directions, whether it's investing into industrial and multi, they can stomach the yield or transitioning into retail. I think that's a really interesting buy right now um, is the retail segment. So it, it is exciting because there's opportunity out there. I mean, when you see Amazon and Google and stuff like that, you know, betting on leasing and buying more square footage, and they don't even have the plan together yet of when people are forced to go, not forced to go back, but, you know, have to go back versus work from home. It's got a, it, it only has a certain amount of time left. I couldn't agree more, man, until people want to be at least 50, 50, I would think going into your coworkers, like you said, versus be at the house a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. And, and I mean, here's the fascinating thing on that, right? If you have the same head count that you did pre COVID, mm -hmm. but some people want to work from home some days and others, you know, Unless you marry it up perfectly, where you're like, hey, you two are Monday two and Tuesday, and you three are Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Like, if you ever have overlap, you're going to need the space. And so, you know, th this notion of, hey, office, you know, you um, is going to go backwards by 40%. And, you know, people who are in 10 are only going to need six, and, you know, 40% of the market's going to be obsolete. That's not going to be the case. You know, it, it's just not. And so, you know, that's what I'm excited for. Absolutely. Is that man. rediscovery of office. Yeah. It's, it's like the a Renaissance time of what's going to happen and what's it going to look like and where do you want to go? That's um, no, that's exciting. That's exciting. Uh, I know we, we've been going for a while, man. I know we could keep going. Um, but I, I, you know, as, as we're kind of wrapping up here, um, any like main pieces of advice you'd give to principals, whether they've been in the office space for a while or not just exploring investing in offices. I know we've touched on a lot of this already. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think, I mean, I put a really rosy, I think, view on the office market, but, you know, I think you still need to be careful. It's like mm -hmm. with every investment, right? Like, I just wouldn't jump two feet into every office building. I really understand 
what's going to make that market tick and in particular that market or that building specifically. Um, you know, if you're thinking about investing into office, I think do your homework. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I always, I mean, this is why I'm at CB and I love CB so much. You know, we have the best office leasing folks bar none in every single market. And I can't tell you how valuable that is to me Absolutely. when I'm trying to look at an office building and figure out the angles and, and kind of the business plan for it. And so if you're out in the market um, and you're trying to buy an office building, you know, don't take the listing guys, you know, you know say for it, you know, go talk to some people and in particular, mm-hmm. talk to some leasing folks, talk to four or five of them. And, you know, the folks, you know, who are unbiased, they're going to give you a real take and they'll say, Hey, that building's never going to lease or I don't see it. And, you know, probably stay clear of that one. But there are other folks who might say, hey, listen, with where my clients are that I'm representing, that building might be a fit, you know, maybe not today, but in the future, there's viability there. Buy those ones, you know, because it's coming back. Yeah, no, I, I like it, man. You're, you're getting me fired up about it. That's for sure. Um, how about how about general advice for brokers? And I, I kind of th- I usually ask this this angle from like, you know, obviously, if you had a crystal ball, but people that are coming into the industry, maybe they want to get into industrial because that's the hot thing right now. But obviously, office is a staple anywhere you go, people have to go to work. So any advice you give to brokers looking to come into the industry now? I mean, I listen, I think there's, it's funny. I think people try to time things and people say, Oh, there's bad times and good times. I think there's, you know, in my experience, there's just always good times to get into real estate. You know, I, I got in in 2005 and I saw the the peak of that market and everyone's doing great. It's go, go days, you know, everything's happening. And then, you know, Two years later, it's boom. I mean, it's Lehman going under, and I mean, people trying to figure out if there's ever going to be a, you know, a global economy again. And it's funny when I was coming in, people were like, "Oh, it's it's a great time to be coming in because the market's so hot and you see a lot of velocity." And then when I was in during the downturn, people were like, "Oh, it's a great time to be in because you see what a bad market looks like and get more education here." So the net of it is, it's always a good time. Don't try to time it; just get in. Um, and you're going to figure out if you got, if you, if you're passionate about it, whatever you're doing on the uh, brokerage side, whether it's leasing, sales, property management, whatever it might be, you know, just get in. I like that. It's cyclical. It'll be good. It'll be good. Sometimes we've got others, but over the long haul, it's going to be great. I like that a lot, man. I like that a lot. You know, it's, it's, um, it's good advice to give to anybody, no matter what, starting off new or maybe going into a new, a new vertical in your, in your commercial real estate career. Any, any general, like, just, you know, feedback that you'd have from when you saw it back in 07 to now, like similarities or differences, or is it just all completely different? I, I, from my take, it's, it's, it's entirely different. Is it? Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, 2008, nine and 10, I mean, that was a financial meltdown. Yeah. I mean, there was no liquidity. There was fear. I mean, people were losing jobs left and right. I mean, it was, it was bad across the board. Um, this this is not that um, you know this is a, you know, a health pandemic right this mm-hmm. is this is an issue with you know health which not kind of hopefully we get past sooner rather than later but you know there's been a lot of people who have done really 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 mm-hmm. exceptionally well um, over these last two years in some cases had the best years of their careers over the last two years there's not many people in 2008 nine and ten who I, I could have said that. that about I mean yes. I mean, some people made some really good buys then, but by and large, that was the exception and not the rule. Um, right now, you know, yeah, there's uncertainty and there's turmoil and there's things like that, but, you know, the world's still functioning. You know, mm-hmm. there's liquidity, both in the debt market and the equity market. There's 
tenants moving around, maybe not at the same pace, but things are happening. You know, gosh, nine and 10, whew, those were, those were slow, tough years. This is not nine and 10 for my vantage point. That's good to hear, man. That's really good to hear. I mean, that that's, yeah, especially hearing from, you know, the office side of things. So that, that's awesome. Um, well, Anthony, this has been great, man. Any, um, you know, I, I want to just obviously thank you for joining us and sharing your insights, especially because very important topic here. Uh, I know you're very busy, so we appreciate your time. Anything, you know, you want to leave us with? No, I mean, I, I just want to thank you guys for having me on and, and give you guys a plug. I mean, you guys have been a big partner of ours on helping us market our real estate. I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of proud that we were an early adopter Absolutely. Um, with using you guys and your service. I mean, I won't say we were the first, but it feels like we were one of them. Very so close, very close a, for sure. Yeah, we've enjoyed a great relationship with you guys and you know, look forward to doing more so and you know, find tremendous value in the service you guys are providing. So thank you for everything. Awesome. No, we appreciate that. That's for sure. Um, how about where can people find you at online if they want to get in touch with you? You know, email, phone number, anything like that, social media, if, if you're anywhere on there. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, listen, I'll always pick up the phone. I'll always answer an email. So if you want to, if you want to call me, um, you know, call me at my desk, 949-725-8425. Or if you want to email me, it's Anthony, A-N-T-H-O-N-Y dot DLorenzo, D-E-L-O-R-E-N-Z-O at com. So happy to help or have a conversation or coffee. Awesome, man. Well, I, I appreciate that. That's that's great. And uh, really, again, thanks for, for joining us. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure not to miss the next one. Visit go.crexy.com slash podcast. That's go.crexy.com forward slash podcast. And sign up to get the very next episode delivered straight to your inbox. You can also subscribe to the Crexy podcast on your favorite podcast app or check out our YouTube channel at www.youtube.com slash Crexy for video recordings of each episode. Goodbye. Thank you for joining in and we'll see you next time.